And we are blazing along now. Verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Remember, this is the second coming. This is Jesus coming suddenly. I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Stop right there. The Lord gives a list of those He's going to judge. Now, He's talking to Israel, but I think this list is pretty broad-based. And we can recognize it even today. He first says, the sorcerers. Kashaf in the Hebrew. The kashaf, it means the workers of witchcraft. And He condemns it. And it doesn't bode well for our country normalizing the church of Wicca. Okay, the Wiccan belief is witchcraft, and God condemns that. Adultery. He condemns, obviously. Which is why the strong word on marriage and divorce that we just studied on Sunday. The Lord graciously gave us that word on marriage and divorce. Warns against adultery, not to condemn, but to correct. And understand, if you have a mark of adultery in your Background, the scarlet letter, as it were. I find it so interesting. I was talking to some friends this week about the fact that there are certain sins in the church that we tag, and adultery is one of them. You commit adultery, you wear that one. You know what? There is no sin you have ever committed that Christ can't wash away so you never have to wear it again. So if you were an adulterer once, but you have been washed and cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Christ, let it go. You are not an adulterer. Any sin that we've committed, Christ's blood is sufficient. Which is why I said on Sunday, though God says I hate divorce, He doesn't hate the divorced. Don't wear that. And I realized there were some people Sunday who were, I mean, there were some tears There was some ache that that kind of brought to the surface as we talked about these things. You know what? Don't wear that stuff. I I tried to be clear. I think the Lord is absolutely clear. He doesn't invite us to walk in the shame of our past. He invites us to walk in the grace of our future. If He only wanted to condemn, He wouldn't have given this word. He would not have shared what he shared about marriage and divorce. He would have just let it go and condemned them. But he didn't. He said, stop doing what you're doing. And now, let's go forward doing the right thing. The third thing he calls out here, along with witchcraft, uh, sorcery, and uh, what's the next one? And adultery, he also calls out perjury. Those who swear falsely. It's the ninth commandment. Do not swear falsely. Don't perjure yourself. This is important to God. He mentions this in Exodus 20, verse 16, the ninth commandment. Leviticus 19, 12, he repeats it. Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 20, he repeats it. Jeremiah 29, 23, he repeats it. And multiple other times, don't perjure yourself. Don't say you're speaking the truth while falsely swearing. Don't be a liar, liar pants on fire. (laughs) 
Because, because you will be a liar, liar, pants on fire. You understand what I'm saying? Proverbs 19.5 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. And I think that's both for now and for the future. Lies have a way of entangling people. To where you get to so wrapped up in the lies and so twisted by it all, you can't get out. What did I say to this person? Because I told this person that, I told this, I gotta keep the story straight. And next thing you know, you cannot escape the lies themselves. But it's also eternal. God has no patience with a perjurer. Well, can he forgive a perjurer? Yes! But stop doing it if that's your thing. To feign truth while lying is counter to the very heart of God. Why? Because he said, walk in the light as I am in the light and you will have fellowship with one another. You need to know, and I don't even think any of our staff are in here right now. Jake's next door and I think Brian's with him. This is my staff standard here at the Bridge Fellowship. And I have repeated it many times to our staff. I will not accept church politics. Walk in the light. If you have something to say to me, say it to me. If you have something to say about a brother or sister in this fellowship, say it to them. Don't say it to someone else. Walk in the light. As he is in the light, what does he say happens? We have fellowship with one another. Because you know you can trust me and I can trust you. And so I don't worry about what I say or what I don't say because I know you know the truth anyway. Walk in the light. Truth matters to God. So much that Jesus says, I am truth. Perjury and number four, cruelty. That is, that's all oppression is. Oppression is just cruelty. It's cruelty to the wage earner, whether they work at McDonald's or not. <laughs> It's cruelty to the widow. It's cruelty to the orphan. It's cruelty to the foreigner, to the alien. It's cruelty. And by the way, the alien is not E.T. Okay? I know that's a tough one. It's it's interesting. It's come up several times. And while our country tries to deal with our border crisis and tries to deal with, you know, uh, President Obama throwing out an executive order that I don't think he actually even signed... But he threw it out there anyway, which is interesting. But trying to do all this stuff, and the the Democrats and Republicans on completely different pages, and and liberals and conservatives fighting over and trying to decide, you know, what's the best thing for all of this border security. Understand, I've said this before, as a church, I'm not talking about how you vote as an individual, I'm saying as a church, we are not to oppress the alien. We are not to oppress the undocumented worker. We are not to oppress anybody. Regardless of where they're from or what their situation in life is, we are to love them into the kingdom. That's our job. Here's the thing. All of these things put together, sorcery, adultery, perjury, cruelty, they all stem from the same root. A lack of the fear of God. And you see that in the verse. The sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress And do not fear me, says the Lord. If we fear the Lord, we hold in the highest awe and esteem our Father in heaven, and therefore, what He says goes. Regardless of anything else that man says, what He says goes. Because I fear Him. 
I fear Him more than I fear the law of the land. I fear God more than I fear the government of America. I fear God more than I fear ISIS, more than I fear Iraq, more than I fear Iran, more than I fear terrorists, more than I fear anything else in life. I fear God more than I fear my wife. (laughs) And I, I, I throw Cheryl in because, you know what, I have a deep, deep respect for my wife. But I respect God more. My fear for God goes far beyond the awe that I would hold for any person. And if we fear God, if we esteem God that highly, then our treatment of others flows out of that fear. I will treat you the way God tells me to because I fear, I respect, I hold in highest esteem and awe the Lord. And so I have to treat you well, whether I want to or not. (laughs) Societies that begin to fail do so when their mentality starts to shift from the fear of the Lord. Psalm 36 verse 1 says, Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God in his eyes. And when a culture goes that direction, when it buys into the mentality mentality that times change, hey, times are changing, and people evolve, And values are relative and morals are idiosyncratic and do not have a single absolute source. When a society begins to believe that, we draw away from the absolute truth of God's Word, then what's the standard? If we don't fear the Lord, what is the standard of truth for America? Is it what you think is right? Is it what I think is right? And how do we know if you're right? How do we know if I am? But if we esteem and fear the Lord most highly, His standard is the only standard. And it doesn't matter if culture changes. Culture always changes. But you know what doesn't change? Look at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And you want proof of His constancy? In verse 6, the proof is Israel. The absolute guarantee, the proof that God is unchanging in His faithfulness, in His righteousness, in His consistency is Israel. What he's saying is the only reason Israel exists as a people is because God is unchanging in nature, in love, in grace, and in truth. He doesn't change. Therefore, Israel still exists. If God was nefarious, if God was changeable, Israel would be gone. They're still here. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, when you think about it, absolute truth... Absolute constancy. Isn't it good to know there is a rock on whom we can count? That as much as everything may go wonky, God is there. And God is true. I mean, think on, what do you count on year after year in your life? The older you get, the more you realize there's not much you can count on. Because everything's always changing. But I can count on the Lord. Do you realize that when I was a 10-year-old and I gave my life to Jesus, He was the same then as He is right now? I've gone through radical changes in my life, but He's the same. Wow. 
Verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how? How shall we return? And what God's going to do here, and we'll tie this in on Sunday morning. He's going to give an absolutely practical example of how changing a behavior helps you return to the Lord. And he's going to use money as the key. So we're going to talk about money on Sunday morning. We'll save this whole section here for Sunday. But it it amazes me, and I'd never seen that before. I've gone to the money section. I've started in verse 8 many times, studied down through verse 12 to talk about tithing. We'll talk about that Sunday. But before you get there, it's in response to the question, how shall we return to you? Ever ask that? How in the world am I going to get back to God after all I've done? How am I going to return? My life is so messed up. How can repentance change that? How can I return? Listen. Get this. Just get this much for right now. We're going to skip over and, and finish up tonight. Repentance is not theoretical. Repentance is practical. In other words, it's hands-on. Repentance is not something you say. Repentance is something you do. John the Baptist is the one who said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If I am repentant in my heart, if I'm truly returning to the Lord in my heart, guess what? It's going to change my behavior. And if my behavior doesn't change, then I really didn't repent. I mean, honestly... I can come forward 27 times in a row on a Sunday morning, but if it doesn't change the way I start to view God in my life, then I really haven't repented. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The returning of a heart must result in the doing of the hands. And that's why when the people say, how shall we return? God says, okay, let me give you a practical example here, and it has to do with tithing. I'll give you something you can do right now to start the process of returning to me. And then he gets all into tithing. A changed heart, gang, it is evidenced in a changed life. Now we're going to skip ahead. In Malachi's day, there were some people who changed. Skip down to verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard. I love this. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And right there we have a response of the people to the preaching of Malachi. There was a group who heard what the prophets said in that day and they went, we got to change what we're doing. we got to return to the Lord. And they did. That happened on earth. In the heavenlies. God said, I like what I'm seeing. Write it down. Open a book. Write down these names. And what you will see in eternity is there are a bunch of names God has kept track of of people in Israel in Malachi's day who will be saved forever because they accepted the word of God. The book of remembrance is what it's called. I like books. I really thank you. Books are a good thing. Kindles are whatever. But books, books, 
I, I like the crisp sound of the pages when they turn. I know they come up with a little electronic thing. You have your Kindle and it goes... I like the smell of, of old paper in books in a library. I just love it. I love the smell of new fresh ink on the pages. I'm, I'm old school on this. I will always preach out of an actual Bible that I can hold in my hands. I'm not going to sit up here with an iPhone. And the word of the Lord is... Oh, my battery's dead. Sorry. <laughs> a real book. Listen, the Lord is a keeper of books. Books are a big deal to the Father. Job 19.23 Oh, that my words were written! Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, he says. And they were. The book of Job. God heard him and said, Yeah, write that down. That's good stuff. Because then Job goes on to say, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth. Oh, that's good. Write it down, says the Lord. And so the book of Job is contained in Scripture. Psalm 56, verse 8 says, Listen to this. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God has tracked you every day of your life. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. The book. God's library is filled. But you know what God's library is filled with? Books with names. Your name. My name. Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 says, A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before the Lord. Thousands upon thousands were attending Him. Daniel is getting this view of the great throne judgment, I believe, there in Daniel 7. And myriads upon myriads were standing before Him, and the court sat, and the books were opened. Seven times in the book of Revelation, the Lord refers to the Lamb's book of life. Seven times. Isn't that interesting? It's a complete library. The Lamb's book of life. Seven times the book mentioning every single person who has ever cried out and said, Lord Jesus, I'm with you. I want to be yours. You're in the Lamb's book of life. And God does not forget when He writes your name in a book. He keeps it tenderly before Him. The names of of all those who fear Him and esteem His name. Chapter 4, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff, as we read. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Purification for God's people. Conflagration for the arrogant Christ-rejecting world. And that's described in Revelation 6, verse, chapter 6 through verse, uh, chapter 19. But note this. He says, I'm not going to leave a root, I'm not going to leave a branch. What does that mean? In that judgment, roots and branches reach both directions. Generationally. Roots reach to the past. Past generations of rebellion will be burned up future generations branching out to the final generation of rebellion will be burned up and you all know I think we're in the final generation verse 2 but for you who fear my name listen 
The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. It is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. What a glorious picture. The sun rises. It's bright. And on the beams of the sun comes healing. And we are jumping and dancing and skipping like calves who have just been set free. And nobody's going to go, well, that's weird. Because we're all going to be doing it. Dancing in the Lord. The sun will rise with healing in its wings. Today the sun doesn't do that. The sun does not heal. In fact, our sun kills. Let's talk about global warming. Actual. Literal, true global warming. Listen to this. The gamma radiation in the form of tiny little particles that are called neutrinos are right now killing you. How about Rick? It's nighttime. They go straight through the earth. The sun's gamma radiation goes straight through the earth 24-7. It is the reason our physical bodies, more than anything else, it is the reason our physical bodies decay. We're being radiated. By the sun, right now. You can wear a big hat in sunblock 150, doesn't matter. Makes no difference. You can go to the skin doctor and have half your head lopped off, it doesn't make a difference. You're still going to die because those neutrinos are just nailing you right and left. By the way, going all the way back to Genesis and to the days before the flood, There's strong evidence, even scientifically as well as biblically, that the earth was surrounded by a great water canopy that held back those neutrinos, which is why people lived as long as they did. But in the flood, that water canopy was burst, it was gone, and suddenly the harmful rays of the sun come in, and man's days are about 120 years on the long side. The sun kills. But in the coming millennial kingdom... The sun will not kill. It will heal. Wow. Man, you can be as tan as you want. (laughs) And you're just going to get healthy. Right? This is one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. And some see the sun of righteousness with healing in its wings, referring generically to the glorious days of the kingdom. It may be more. It may be more. The sun... Of righteousness. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. The, the Lord is a sun to us. He's warmth. He's light. Second Samuel 23 verse 3, David, prophetically speaking of Jesus, said, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, saying, He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, that's Jesus, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises. A morning without clouds when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness would see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Matthew says, that's Jesus. And so I have no problem seeing this sun rising as symbolic of the Lord God expressed in Jesus, the Son of God. Second Peter 1.19 says, We have the prophetic word more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, Jesus Christ, arises in your hearts. 
And just to put one more edge on it here, in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem described in Revelation 21 and 22, we're told there will no longer be any night. Revelation 22 verse 5. They will not have need of a light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. The sun's coming. The sun is going to rise with a completely new thing. It's going to rise with healing. And Jesus says in Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Verse 3. You will tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't it ironic that Israel, six million Jews were gassed in the concentration camps of Bergen-Belsen and Treblinka, Auschwitz, their ashes sprinkled all across Europe. And God says to these same people, the day is coming when all the evildoers will be as ash underneath your feet. That day is coming. That great and terrible day of the Lord. Any purification now, no matter how difficult, is worth being saved from the conflagration then. Better to live and be with Jesus, though living a hard life now, than to live an easy life now and be as ash in that day. Any challenges, any sacrifices made in the name of Jesus will be worth it, will be worth more than their weight in eternity. Well, we have two verses to go. I'm saving those for next week. And as, as you've seen tonight, we can easily spend quite a bit of time on two verses. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your powerful, overwhelming Word. Through Your Messenger. Father, the Word of, the Messenger of the Covenant. And we praise You, Lord Jesus, that in You that covenant what was confirmed in the beginning, that You are our benefactor, that You fulfilled the covenant in and of Yourself, and that You now stand as the mediator of the new covenant, both for Israel and for all those who believe in Your name. Thank You for the truth of these words, the power of Your, of your Scripture, Father. And I pray now Your Spirit will work these things around in our souls and in our spirits that we might walk more closely with You until You call us home. In Jesus' name. Amen.